I'm excited about this tonight. But a couple things first. Thank you, worship team, that uh, I've been trying to get better at thanking them. They put in a lot of work, so um, they come up and practice, take their own time to work on their skill. So uh, thank you to them. We just finished the Sermon on the Mount. So this is our first night in our second discourse. We're studying the five discourses of Matthew through the summer. So this will take us um, all the way to November. In November, we'll do our another saint series. We'll do four new saints, and then we'll be into Advent. So this actually, this study is going to carry us all the way through the summer. Um, and we just finished the first part of it, the Sermon on the Mount. We've studied for the last eight weeks, and we're into a new one um, tonight. So we're going to do a little bit of recap on what we've done for the last eight weeks we talked about the Sermon on the Mount and how it kind of, it's a heart thing that he's constantly through this entire sermon. And I challenge you, if you didn't hear last week, you, that's, a, that's one you want to catch. Get online, listen to that one, because it, we summed up kind of the whole thing last night. Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, kind of gives a, a big response, a big therefore. Since we've learned all this, um, here's what that means kind of thing. And he lays out this kind of binary thing between two different ways. And he's been doing this kind of through the whole sermon, but he kind of brings up five major metaphors that are kind of um, either or things. He says, you know, there's two ways. There's wide is the way and a lot of people that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to life. Um, he lays out, uh, he said, beware of wolves that come in sheep's clothing, that wolves that look like sheep. So he lays out kind of these two animals, one that's a sheep and one that looks like a sheep. And, then he says, and many, there'll be many disciples who will say, hey, didn't we do great things in your name? Didn't we preach in your name? Didn't we do miracles? Didn't we do all these crazy things? He's going to say, I never knew you. So he talks about two disciples, one uh, who's different than the other one. He uh, lays out, I think I've got three right now. I don't know. Um, and he lays out two houses. Why is the, is the man who he, takes my sayings and, and does them? He's like a man who built his house on a rock. And he goes, the other man built it on the sand. He lays out these two houses, identical houses. Oh, he lays out two trees. He says that uh, there's you know two trees, both that bear fruit, one that's poison, one that's not, you know. And through the whole thing, he's he's wrapping up the fact that these two things always look identical. And he's been doing this through the whole sermon. He did it with adultery. He said, you know, uh, he doesn't compare an adulterer to a faithful person. He says it's not okay to just not commit adultery. You also have to work on lust. He lays out a non-adulterer and a non-adulterer, and he compares those two. Then he gets into murder, and he says. Um, you know, it's not enough just to not murder if you have hate and anger in your heart. So he, he compares a non-murderer to a non-murderer. And he does this through the whole thing. Never does he even talk about what we classically call sin in the Sermon on the Mount. He's getting into heart issues, the things that are under the surface. We talked about the iceberg and how we tag to tend to deal with the little part that sticks above the water. And the gospel likes to go and deal with the big part that's underneath the water. And so he finally lays out this whole thing in this Conclusion is basically that all of us have issues. We talked about how our three words as Christians should be, yeah, me too. That we all, we have a tendency to stress, you should not, as our three big words that we like to throw at people. But the gospel is, yeah, me too. That none of us can face the gospel and say that I'm, I have any right to point at anybody else. That my mantra should be, you know, oh, you've got issues, yeah, me too. Oh, you've done some things wrong. Yeah, me too. Oh, you're broken and in need of a Savior. Yeah, me too. That should be our mantra as Christians is yeah, me too. And it's super, super important to get that before 
we get into this discourse because if you go into this discourse striving, like living in that place where you're trying desperately to earn God's favor, where you never feel like enough, like you never feel like God fully loves you, then you'll go into this next discourse wrong and you'll get it completely wrong. You have to get the confidence of the Sermon on the Mount to know that I'm completely broken and yet He completely loves me. I'm both fully known and fully loved. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, how to be fully known or to be fully loved and not fully known is sentimentality at, at best. That, that if someone fully loves us but they don't fully know us, then we always have that feeling of if you, know, if you really knew me, you wouldn't love me like that. To be fully known and not fully loved is our greatest fear. That if someone would really know us, they wouldn't really love us. So to be fully known and not fully loved is a terror. But in God, we are both fully known and fully loved. And that's unique in the Gospel, that we can be fully known. Did something just die? I don't know what just happened. That, uh, and so we have to have that. We have to have that from the Sermon on the Mount, that we can be both fully known and fully loved to get into this one right. Um, so we've been doing, for the last eight weeks, been kind of focused on ourselves. We've been really looking into our heart. We've been really digging in. And this week we're going to change that. We know what that is? Surely we know what that is, right? Yeah, turn the camera around. We've been doing, we've been in selfie mode for the last eight weeks. We've had the camera, we've had the phone up, and we've been looking in the heart. We've been looking at us. And tonight, we're going to flip that. We're going to hit the little button. We're going to go front-facing camera for the next several weeks and look outward. Okay? No more selfie mode. Now we're looking out because this is the missionary discourse is what we call it. So this is the time when Jesus sends out His twelve um, disciples away from Him. He sends them out for the first time to go out and do, which is a fairly typical thing for rabbis to do. They would always have disciples and occasionally they would say, now go forth in My name. And that was normal for a rabbi to send their disciples out. And they would come into a town teaching in the name of their rabbi. So this isn't unusual. Jesus is doing a fairly normal rabbinical thing, only He's doing it a little different, um, which we're going to talk about. So, super important before you go out, that before you go to front-facing camera, while you're still in selfie mode, you get that confidence to know that God both fully knows you and fully loves you. Otherwise, you go out and you're, you're going to sell something bad because you're going to sell people this burden, this, this, you're not really going to have anything to offer them. If you're, if you're burdened and you're weighted down by the responsibility and duty of being a Christian, rather than the joy and excitement of knowing I'm both fully loved and fully uh, known, then, uh, then you'll get it wrong and you won't have much to give people. So, um, this falls at a neat time. And I'm not smart enough to do this on purpose. This is just how it fell out. Um, this Friday and Saturday are Frontier Days here in Edgerton. So um, we're going to have a big booth. We've been working on um, signage and Esther's getting all kinds of stuff. To, we're just going to give away free stuff, free ice creams, free stuff from Sam's, which I'm told that nobody gives away anything free at Frontier Days. So we should stand out a little bit because everybody's like, man, everything costs a fortune at Frontier Days. So we're just going to give stuff away free, which is going to be totally fun. And um, we've got some cool golden ticket Refrigerator magnets made for our VBS, so we're pushing VBS hard. We're going to be trying to get um, an email list so we can remind people like a week ahead of time, hey, don't forget VBS next week. So we're going to try and get them to take this golden ticket, stick it on their fridge. We're, we're doing some outreach. So as a church, we're turning the camera around. We're, we're taking it off selfie mode for the next several months, and we're reaching out to the community. So it's just really kind of neat. 
that we're going to study when Jesus did that at the same time our church is doing that. And I swear I'm not that good of a planner. I didn't sit back several months ago and go, you know, it would be cool if I timed this out just right. Nope, this surprised me. And I was like, hey, how cool is this? So, um, so it's kind of fun. Now, tonight's sermon, I have to, uh, I have to um, give a little bit of a disclaimer um, you guys know how some um, preachers do those sermons that are like the three-point message and they all start with the same letter or they, uh, or like they have some kind of alliteration. They spell like, you know, go forth or something, blah, blah, blah. I generally make fun of those preachers because they feel really cheesy to me. And I know why we do it. We do it to make it easier to remember. We do it so things will stick in people's minds. Like it's, I just, usually I'm, I'm into precision. And I want the right word, not the one that sounds best. And so I don't usually do that. You guys probably know I don't usually do that. But every once in a while, it just jumps off the page. Like you just open it up. And I like, I was looking at it, I was just doing my Lectio and just kind of breaking the thing down. And like the first three jumped out and they all started with M. And so my, do <laughs> you see my title? Mmm, that's good. Four points all start with M. Yeah, and then we're going to wrap that up at the end. So if you like your sermons with a little bit of cheese on it, tonight's the night for you because we're going to get a little bit cheesy. Um, but, uh, and then so I get my first three, just they just were all there. And I went my fourth one. I was like, ah, oh, bummer, that one doesn't really fit quite as well. And then the word popped in my head and I just kind of chuckled to myself. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to be one of those guys I've always made fun of. So tonight's going to be kind of fun. Um, but it's also, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. I wanted to share this because I've had a couple people um, talk to me about it. But um, my prayer over the last like four weeks um, has changed a little bit as I've been preparing for our messages. Um, I have a tendency, I love the scripture. I love to study. I love to dig. I love to, to hunt. And so my general question I go into sermon prep with is what does this passage mean? And I want to know to the original um, reader, to the, with the context that it was in, what does this passage mean? Um, and I've kind of changed that over the last four weeks. And I don't even know why. I think it's something the Holy Spirit was just prompting in me. But I've started asking the question, instead of what does this passage mean, I've been asking God, what do you want to say? To us, And I'm still trying to figure out what he wants to mean, but my, my prayer of late has been, God, to Open Table Community Church in this season, what do you want to say to us? What do you have for us? Um, and so when this outline just jumped off the page at me, I, I laughed and kind of went, okay, that's what we're going to do then. If that's the message you have for us, then that's what we'll preach. So if you don't like cheese in your sermon, blame God, it wasn't me. Um, so let's dive in. In our passage, so Jesus sends out these, uh, these 12, and he gives them a map. First thing, these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And this is something we tend to miss sometimes as Christians. Um, really in the Christian life is that Jesus has a tendency to send us to specific places. He gives us a map when he sends us out. And we can't make a formula out of this one because the same group of people in the book of Acts, not too far ahead of this, um, he tells them now, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to Jerusalem and then from there you're going to go to Judea, then Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. So he changes their map on them. So we can't take this map and try to make a solid formula out of it. 
we have to just trust that in each new endeavor, Jesus gives us a new map. And this has a tendency to require relationship with Jesus, to say, what, where do you want me to go today? Um, Jesus, I, I've always used the example of, you know, Jesus doesn't generally give us directions. He gets in the car with us and says, okay, turn left up here. We want directions. Like, give, I want to know where I'm going and how I'm going to get there. And he's like, sweet, turn left. And you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Then what, like, we like the full-blown, you know, map quest that thing and give me every little turn. And Jesus doesn't usually do that. He usually jumps in the front seat and says, let's go, drive this way. Um, he, he called Abraham and, Abraham and he was like, get up and go, leave your father's house and go to the land that I will show you. Like he told him to get up and walk. So Abraham had to get up and start walking, pack up his entire family and all his goods and start heading in a direction to a land that he was going to be shown. That he didn't even know where he was going yet. I think a lot of times that's the way it works. But I think he does give us guidelines. He does have a tendency to do this with us at times. He gives us a map. Paul, this is a big one that has always kind of stood out to me. Um, and this is feels very real to me, like what it feels like to do church. Um, it's in the book of Acts in chapter 16. It says, Now when they had gone through Phygia in the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul by night. A man in Macedonia stood and pleaded with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So you just get the image of Paul like he's on a missionary journey that God sent him out on. God called him to go out and preach the gospel in these towns. And so he goes marching to the first town and God's like, nope, not that one. He's like, okay, we'll go over here. Nope, not there. And he's like, I think I'm out here because God sent me, you know, and everywhere I try to go, the door seems to close on me. So where am I going? And this is the, and so he Literally what seems to be in a stall, what literally seems to be in a, we're out of place to go. They had bumped up against the Mediterranean. Paul has this vision of someone in Macedonia, which is, this is the first time the gospel crosses over and goes fully into Europe. Um, and it happens because Paul ran out of anywhere else to go. And he has this vision of someone in Macedonia and Europe going, hey, come over here and help us. And so he gets on a boat and heads over and behold, the gospel is now in Europe. But it starts with Paul trying doors and they won't open. It's almost like the Holy Spirit has given Paul a particular map and said, don't go here, don't go here, don't go here, head that way. Which is what I think usually happens. I think this applies in our personal life. I think we have a tendency to get so caught up with how bad and broken the whole world is. We have a tendency to be like world hunger and in all of our political divides and in all of our you know, all the things, the, the war here and the economic collapse in just multiple places and all this stuff is going on and we have this tendency to get caught up in what can I do to help any of that? What can I do to do anything to, to help all of that stuff that goes on everywhere? Like how can I change one thing in that? And I think the beauty of this is I think sometimes the Holy Spirit goes, hey, don't go there, 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 or there. You have kids in this season. There's your map. Like at this time, you just pour into your kids. That's the, that's the, you know, maybe later we'll go, then you're going to go here, then you go, then you're going to go here. But right now, you've, you've got a job. That is your, that is your mission field. Huh, I could have done mission field too. That's fun. Um, we're going to really drill the M's, I think. Um, so he's like, what if, you know, what if, 
like right now you're in school. That's your map. You don't have to worry about out here and out here and out here and out here. I mean, just just think about, I think it's because I didn't plug my computer in back here. So we'll see. Um, nope. Man, I'm cheating. There we go. Um, so what if, because you got to think that would have been a little bit discouraging. <laughs> don't go here, don't go there. Right now you're the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Can you imagine being a Samaritan and overhearing that? And being like, what? You're sending them out and they can't talk to Samaritans? Do not go by the way of the Gentiles. Now, we do know from where we stand that eventually he opened that up to the Gentiles and that was awesome. This is obviously a seasonal thing. This map is seasonal. This map is for now. I think we have to know, we have to be willing to say, I have a map right now. And maybe it's not my forever map. Maybe it's not the whole map. Maybe I'm not supposed to go reach these people and these people and these people. Maybe I'm not supposed to fix those bigger issues. Doesn't mean we don't engage in some of the systemic stuff that can help. But maybe right now my focus is supposed to be this map, this small map that God has put me in. I think this applies to us. I think it also applies to our church. We set out originally, like our original vision was uh, Edgerton and West. And we had said that, you know, like we, we, Gardner's got a lot of good churches. Um, you know, we've got a lot of relationships in Gardner. Uh, and so we figured we would... Edgerton and West. And to be honest, to us, it felt like we'd be in Edgerton for several years. And we just, we just felt like God was calling us to Edgerton. And then this church opens up in Wellsville. And we, we buy this building for a ridiculously low price for us. And it actually fits our tiny little budget. And we're like, and so it, it kind of fits our map. And so we're like, you know, we, we have this, what we feel is this direction from the Holy Spirit to say, this is your Matt, this is your footprint. This is what I've called you to. And that can give us hope and confidence that maybe um, this is what we're called to. Maybe this is what Jesus is, what the Holy Spirit is leading us to these towns for this season, which is exciting to me. So when they're sent, they got a map. And as a lot of you probably saw, then he gives them their message. He says, as you go, go preaching, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is kind of interesting because he doesn't uh, he doesn't preach what we would consider to be a Christian message at this point. Granted, he hasn't gone to the cross. There's not the whole redemptive salvation story being told yet. But he sends them out saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is this is a pretty powerful thing, I think. At the time, this would have made Jesus what's called a Jewish apocalypticist. Um, there were other first century Jewish apocalypticists that said some very similar things. And the difference was theirs were all um, God is about to show up and crash in. He's going to flip everything and the, the wicked are going to be punished and the righteous are going to be lifted up. And they would tell these big apocalyptic messages and then they would die. Nothing would happen and everything would just go back to normal. Um, but Jesus had a very similar message. I mean, to a, to a Jewish audience at the time, he would have been considered a classic Jewish apocalypticist. Um, the only difference is his kingdom did seem to show up. Wherever he went, people were healed and demons were cast out and, the, and the, there was this collision and it was subversive. That's what's so powerful about this. Is this isn't, hey, we're here just to make the world better. We're just here to make the world a little bit brighter. We're here to just be a little bit more friendly than everybody else. This is, we're here to take over. We're here to conquer in a way. This is kingdom 
language. This is one warring kingdom against another warring kingdom, only it's flipped in that it's we're here to conquer by serving. We're here to, to take over and to, and to defeat your kingdom with my kingdom with our love. Like it's, it's not typical kingdom language, like violence and power and, and threat. This is this weird subversive language, like we're going we're gonna to take you over by feeding so many poor people that your whole nation is going to crumble and we're going to take over. And that's actually what happened. Like they, they took the early church, took care of so many widows and orphans and, and took care of the poor and did so many good things that 300 years later, they're the dominant religion in the whole Roman Empire. And they started out as this tiny little group of people doing nothing but good deeds. And it spread to this. So this is, this is an interesting message. And we know that in the book of Acts, he sent the apostles out um, when he, when he uh, ascended. And that word is a, um, it's a, it's a, a royal word. You ascend to a throne. The king would ascend to a throne. So at his ascension, he sent the apostles out and he said, now go forth and spread this message. Tell them the king is on the throne. Go forth and with this kingdom message. And so uh, this seems to be, and Jesus seemed to be uh, kind of consumed with this through his entire ministry. Most of his teaching was centered around this kingdom that he would say, what, what is the kingdom of God? How shall I liken it? It's like a mustard seed. What is the kingdom of God? To what shall I compare it? It's like a woman who puts some leaven and some bread. And so he, he's always trying to explain what this kingdom is. And mostly that it's a flipped kingdom. In most of his parables, we find out that it's, it's different because it's backwards. If you want to receive, if you want to really um, be on top in this kingdom, you, you serve like the lowest. If you want to receive, you give. You'll give away everything you have. If you want to gain life, you have to give it up. I mean, this, all this stuff is backwards in this kingdom. And I think this has a tendency to have an impact in our life as well. This kingdom message. We've been talking about, um, about the Lord's Prayer. We got into the Lord's Prayer a little bit in the Sermon on the Mount. And how whatever your thing is, whatever you're into, the answer to it is thy kingdom come. Like if, if sin, just really people running around and doing whatever they want, just really bothers you, your prayer is thy kingdom come. God, your kingdom, where sin does not reign, where, where, where people have self-control as a fruit of the Spirit, let your kingdom come and crash into this kingdom. Maybe your thing is freedom. You hate seeing people bound up and, and in bondage to things. Your prayer is thy kingdom come. Let your kingdom of freedom crash into this one. You know, or maybe it's social justice. It drives you crazy that we, our world is so full of injustice. Your prayer is, thy kingdom come. God, there is no injustice in your kingdom. Let your kingdom come. So this, this concept of the kingdom of heaven is at hand, I think is important to us. I think it, it, it's, uh, uh, I think it can have an impact on our life to view what we're doing, not as just doing church, but advancing a kingdom, advancing a kingdom of love and light and and life uh, into darkness. That that's what we do as the church. And it's, it's not by building big churches. It's by going out. There it goes. I knew it was going to happen. It's by going out and... Uh, I knew not to go the other way. Um, it's by going out into the darkness with the light and spreading it. The places where we work and the places where our kids go to school and, and things like that. It's about being light. It also has an impact on our church. Our original vision statement, this is the first line of our, of our original vision statement that we uh, talked about when we first talked about starting this church. Open Table Community Church is a community organized by 
and around the Word of God to cooperate in the mission of God of furthering the kingdom of God. That was our opening line of our vision statement that our, our hope is to advance and further the kingdom of God. So Jesus sends out His apostles. He gives them their map. He gives them their message, which I think should be our message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That we're not here just to be nice. We're here to advance a kingdom. That we're here to tell you Jesus is here right now. So He gives them their message. And then finally, He gives them their methods. And this is where it gets kind of fun. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bags for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who is worthy and stay there until you go out. And when you go into that household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. If it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever is not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that city. Got cut off a little bit there. So we're going to break these into smaller pieces so we can kind of understand what's going on here. But these are the kind of the, the methods that he sends them out with. The first one, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, freely receive, freely give. Don't, you know, prepare yourself and, and, and stock up for this, for this journey. He just kind of sends them out empty-handed, just kind of throws them out. Don't, don't take your savings account with you. Don't. And so he says a few things here. First... Do big things. That's kind of the first part. Do big things. Second, do it for free. Not really for free, but freely you have been given, freely received. So you don't go out demanding payment. And third, don't make huge preparations. That's kind of what this says. Do really big things. Do it for free. And don't make huge preparations for it. Now, I want to make sure we understand, if just like our map wasn't, we can't make that a formula. I don't think we can make the methods a solid formula either. I think we can just pull these big ideas from it. That we need to do big things, we need to do them for free, and we need to make, uh, not make huge preparations. Let's break those down just a touch. Above all else, I think we're supposed to do things that are too big for us. I think it's what he's saying here. If we did things that we knew we could do, if we set out to do things that we knew, okay, I've got enough money saved up, I can do this now. I can, like we, as a church, we can go out and do this thing. We have, we're in perfect position. You know, we know we can handle these things. Then I don't think that is what he's called. I don't think those are Jesus' methods. It seems like Jesus' methods are, get in over your heads. It seems like what he's saying here. Like, he's, he's asking them to do things they know they can't pull off. They know they don't have the power to raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. They know that if they go out on a journey and they don't take any money or any extra clothes with them or anything, they're going to get out and get in big trouble. I mean, there's, 
We know that this was the type of land where that happened when they, you know, went out and everybody's out in the wilderness listening to Jesus. The disciples got scared because they were like, hey, everybody's been here a long time. Nobody packs food. If you send them home now, there's going to be people passing out on the way. They're going to die. Like, this is a pretty rough wilderness area between towns. And so you don't just take off on a journey like this without preparations. And Jesus is like, just go. Get in over your head. Do stuff that's too big for you. That way, when I step in and do it, you're going to know you can't take credit. You're going to know you can't go, you know, man, I was awesome. I just kicked butt at that. I was killer. Like, because you did stuff that you knew you couldn't do. You did stuff that was too big for you. Make sure we do things that are too big for us. If we could do it ourselves, why would we need God? If, if we did things that we knew we could handle, why would we need God? So Jesus' first kind of methodological command is to attempt God-sized stuff. Attempt to do God-sized stuff. The second one, now whatever city you enter, inquire who is worthy and stay there until uh, you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. I think this is talking about a Jewish house blessing that they would do when they would walk in. Um, and they would, uh, they would kind of say a blessing on, on the house before they would um, enter. It also has to do with if you go in and someone's taking care of you and they're meeting your needs and they're going to let you stay with them and feed you, stay there. You don't have to bounce around. You don't have to go to a lot of different houses. Don't look for a better deal. Like, you know, if someone's taking care of you, stick with them. But I think what is um, really happening here, with, especially with this statement about let your peace come upon it. I really, that really jumped out at me. I think part of what he's saying here is that as Christians, when we go into an area, we're supposed to change it. We're supposed to affect it. Like when we go someplace, it, it's supposed to take something with us. We're supposed to have an impact. It's that classic, everybody's heard that classic metaphor of be a thermostat, not a thermometer. Everybody, everybody heard that? Like a thermostat is what you do use to set the temperature. It's what you use to change the temperature. All a thermometer does is, registers, is record or uh, measure the temperature. And we're supposed to be a thermostat. We're supposed to be something that goes in and changes the temperature of the room. We go in and when we go in, we bring our peace with us. We bring the Holy Spirit with us. We bring an impact with us. So he says, when you go into a place, let your peace just settle on that place. Let your peace affect it. Let your peace change it. So he says, when you go into a place, if, if, they're, if they're worthy and they receive you, and they're just, just raise the temperature. Just bring the Spirit with you. That we should, when we go into a place, the love of God should show up in a new way. There should be a real impact. The thing I love about this is... Um, is so often when Jesus would tell stories about the people of God, um, the people of God almost seemed shocked that they were even doing good. Like when he does the sheep and the goats, and he's like, hey, he puts the goats over here, and he's like, you know, you guys are in trouble because you never took care of me, you never gave me any food, you never gave me any drink, you never visited me without the prison, you never gave me any clothes. And they're like, when did we ever even see you in those conditions? And he's like, when you didn't do it to the least of your your brethren, you didn't do it to me. And then he calls the other ones. He's like, come on, sheep, into the, your glory that your father has prepared for you because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. And then my favorite part of that whole 
parables, they go, when did we ever do good? Like, they're almost as shocked as the other side. They weren't like setting out to earn rewards. They weren't setting out to like, you know, put notches in their belt for God. They weren't like, God, did you see what I did? They were just affecting the places they went. When they went into places, they just did good because that's who they were. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up to reward them. And they're like, whoa, when did we do anything good? We were just being Christians. Like, we were just being us. And he was like, exactly, exactly. So it's almost like we're not supposed to try as much as we're supposed to be. Does that make sense? We're supposed to, that's who we're supposed to be. Again, it's not something we can just muster up. It's something we get by... And I love uh, in the book of Acts when Peter and John got arrested for the very first time. They had, they had healed the lame man and they called him in and it says that they knew they were uneducated men and they could see that they had been with Jesus. Like something in, something in their demeanor, something in the way they answered, something in their confidence and boldness maybe. And the, the conclusion that the Sanhedrin drew from that was these guys had clearly been with Jesus. And I think that would be like the coolest compliment you could ever get. If you just walk into a place and you're just totally being you, and somebody's like, dude, you must really know Jesus. Like, you have totally changed the atmosphere of this room. Like, that's got to be the goal. So our hopes are um, not just, not, you know, not to grow a big church. That's, that's never been our hopes. But to, to change the temperature of Edgerton and Wellsville. Like, to... To, to change the city, to actually be a real light and to, and to, I mean, I just get this picture of our peace, like the, the peace and the relationship and the community that we build just, just settling on this place and making a real impact. And the final thing that Jesus says about their methods was whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than that city. The shaking off the dust thing has always bothered me because it, like, it has this almost cold, like, fine, if you're not going to hear me, I'm done with you, like, you know, kind of attitude to it. And that's always kind of concerned me because it didn't feel very compassionate. And so I was praying about that a lot this week and I really felt um, like what... God kind of drew me into was um, was it was like Jesus was saying, don't get caught up in what's not happening. Don't let yourself get brought down and burdened by what's not happening. Like this brushing the dust off of their feet wasn't something they were doing to the town as much as their own attitude. Like I could get fully consumed by who's not here tonight or I can enjoy my time with who is here tonight. And, and so it's almost like he's saying, hey, if you go into a town they don't receive you, don't get caught up in what's not happening. Don't get caught up in what, what's not working. You've got a message to push. You've got a kingdom to advance. You've got good things to do. You've got good things to make happen. You've been sent. Don't get caught up in what's not working. And I think it's ironic that he picks Sodom and Gomorrah as kind of his example here because there was a lot of cities that fell to the Jews. There was a lot of cities that, that had fallen and it was kind of this cooperative God helping the, the army of Israel to, to bring down enemies. 
But not this one. This one was purely God. This one was totally God saying um, this, you know, this area is, is only going to do harm on the earth if it continues. And so God stopped it. So the fact that Jesus says, you know, hey, it's going to be better than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah. It's almost like he's saying, let me handle that stuff. I know how to handle it. You stick on, you stay on message. You stay on, on your map. You keep doing the things you're supposed to be doing. Let me handle the stuff that's not working. Let me handle the, the stuff that um, the people that aren't accepting, the people that aren't hearing your message. Let me deal with them. I know how to deal with them. I can handle it. I can, I, I can soften hearts. I can turn people, you know, I can take people through situations that will eventually bring them around. Or worst case scenario, I know how to pour down judgment. But that's not for us to worry about. I think he's saying, you don't worry about what's not working. You just keep advancing the kingdom. So Jesus gives the disciples their map. He gives them their message. He gives them their methods. And that's one last M. And I want to go back to verse 1 for this one. And when He called His twelve disciples to Him, He gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. This is the one I struggled with. I was like, ah, it must not work. You guys ready for this? (laughs) Yeah. He gave them their muscle. That's our last M. Yep. There's the nacho cheese right on top. He gave them their muscle, which I think is important. He sent them out and He gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. I think in our modern context, we have a tendency to get a little overwhelmed with what is a demon, what is not a demon, what's Satan, what's us, what's blah, 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 you know what. And I I think there is some room uh, to be curious because we know how far medicine had come at that time and we know that a lot of mental illnesses would have been completely unexplained and unexplainable in the first century. And so I'm sure it would have been very easy with some mental illnesses and even things like epilepsy to to put a finger on exactly what's broken and to blame that on a demon. Um, and so I think in some context, things that they called demons might have been things that we can now explain medically. And that's fine. It could have also been that there are demons and that's fine. And my advice, if, if you're not even sure where you stand on the issues of disease or demons, or blah, blah, is that it doesn't matter as long as you cast it out. Because whatever you call that thing, He gives us power over it. Whether it's disease or whether it's demon or whether it's supernatural or spiritual or whether it's just something broken physically, He calls us to have power over it. He calls us to pray. To, to, to expect the Holy Spirit to do big things. To get in and say, somehow, God has empowered us to deal with these things, whatever they are. Whatever context you see it in, God wants us to engage it. And I think this is huge. Because I think we have a tendency to, to come to peace with things that we're supposed to be at war with. Like death is a big one. I don't know if, how many of you came to our Ash Wednesday service, but one of the things I love about Ash Wednesday, it's a time to say, you know, this world is broken. 
Like, death is our enemy. Death was never supposed to be. And we have a tendency to be like, hey, they lived a good long life. They get to go, they get to rest and go be with Jesus and that's good, blah, blah, blah. And what I say to that is how broken must a world be that we've come to grips with death? That we're okay with this thing that was never supposed to be here? Like, how bad must the world be that we're like, hey, he gets out of here, you know? And it's, it's a sign that we live in a sinful, broken world and we are called to be redeemers. We're called to bring life to, to death, to bring light to darkness, to always stand against that and say, no, death is the enemy. It wasn't supposed to be this way. The world wasn't supposed to be broken. There wasn't supposed to be addiction and hurt and thing and, and pe- we weren't supposed to lose people. We weren't supposed to get our hearts broken. We weren't supposed to, to, to hurt so bad. Like this was not part of the original plan. And, and our hopes are the redemption that's in Christ, that we would always fight against that, that something in us would always go, no, I've been sent out with power against brokenness, against broken things. Like I've been sent out to do good in a broken world, in a world that's hurting. I've, I've been sent to, to, to bring healing in a world that, that, is, that is always struggling and fighting. I've been sent to bring peace like I am called to stand against the darkness, never to embrace it, never to say I'm part of that world. I'm, I've, we've been called to something different. And we've been sent with the power of the Holy Spirit to say, no, this is not the way it was supposed to be. This is not okay. This is not right. And we take that muscle into the darkness and we fight it. We fight against the darkness. We stand against it. So for this commission, he, he empowered the disciples against unclean spirits, sickness, disease. But I think we, I think we have to also see bigger than that. I think we have, we have to see the power that God gives us um, in our map. So if your map is, is raising kids right now, then God has empowered you to raise your kids well. If your map is, is to... to to work and do a job, then you take the power of the Holy Spirit. You take God's muscle into that job to do it well, to do it with integrity and to do it with joy and to do it in a way that advances the kingdom of God. Whatever your map is, that you take God's muscle into that place to be a light in darkness. If you've got a ministry here at the church, if, you, if you're working in kids ministry or you're working in one of the other uh, areas of ministry, God has empowered you to do that. The Holy Spirit wants to fill you up to do that work. We don't do it in our own power. We take the muscle, well, we did, of God with us. Now, I hope this is something as our church outreaches this summer that we recognize that we're, this isn't just us, you know, advertising or marketing or whatever you want to call that. This is us hopefully taking the power of God, taking the, the that God is empowering us to reach out to people and say, um, we have answers to your problems. We have hope. We have light in this dark place. Hopefully we go in the power of God.